Hello, everybody. My name is Russ. Mm -hmm. This is my friend Mike. <laughs> There's a scripture, Matthew 18, 20, says, For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. So we've got <clears throat> plenty of people to have Christ in the midst of us. And so in this prayer for the country, what I've done is taken some lyrics from some popular songs and verses and other things and put together a prayer based on the prayers of the people that wrote these songs and, and poems. So I'm going to assume a prayer position that's comfortable for me. I invite you all to do whatever works for you. If you want to stand, if you want to kneel, if you want to sit, whatever you want to do, just pray along and, and in your own words, in your own heart. And uh, we'll just look for God's blessing. Yeah. In God we trust. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father's God to thee, author of liberty, to thee we pray. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us by thy might, great God our King. Our country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty. From every mountainside let freedom ring. America the beautiful, oh beautiful for patriot dreams that sees beyond the years, undimmed by human tears. America, America, may God shed his grace on thee till selfish gains no longer strain the banner of the free. May God mend thine every flaw, confirm thy soul in self-control, thy liberty and law and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. Let us be one nation under God with liberty and justice for all. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Count of three when children open the shoe boxes, they're so excited. I mean, it's just been incredible. Kids are so excited. Giving them a gift, do it in Jesus' name, and that's what this is all about. Jesus loves you. It's a gospel opportunity. It's the chance for the children to change the entire life. The word of God is spreading. The gospel is advancing. It is impacting children. It is impacting families. It is impacting the world greatly. Thank you for praying. Thank you for giving. God will bless and God will use your gift to touch the life of a child and to be able to do it in Jesus' name. So thank you. Thank you for being a part of it. God bless each and every one of you. Let us stand. Worship the Lord. Think about Him, His throne. How good He's been to us this week.
first time I heard that song was in the Philippines. And I'll never forget singing it and standing there with all these tongues, different tongues singing around me. All I could do was weep. I, it was a taste of that day when we get there around that throne and singing in all the nations and all the tongues. And I cannot wait. If you can sing a different tongue today, I'm serious, do it. I would love to hear the different flavors of all the world, nationalities. I think it's amazing. And that's what God hears. He loves that. I want to read a verse, if you don't mind, um, in my reading this morning that I came across. And it fits with our next song. And um, it's found in Ephesians. He's, um, Paul is saying, don't forget you were outsiders living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to Him through the blood of Christ. For Christ Himself has brought peace to us. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens doing, going along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are His house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Just like the nation Philippines, just like any nation that comes to Christ, anybody from any tribe, any tongue, we are all now one with Christ because of his precious blood. Let's just think about, as we sing this next song, Cornerstone, about who he is and what he's done for us. It's an old hymn put to a new tune.
talking to someone. We want you to go with us to heaven and know that joy and peace. you sent to live out a life like we would live and have him feel everything we would feel, be tempted like we would be tempted. Yet he came out on top, perfect, holy, still. That's why he could be resurrected. And we just want to thank you for that. And the craziest part of the story, there is not one thing that we can do to get it other than just surrender, literally. There is nothing we can do, be, say that will make us come into your presence other than Jesus Christ. It's so simple. Thank you for the simplicity of salvation, of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that everyone, no matter what age, can come. And Jesus, we lift you up today. Your word says that if we lift you up, men will be drawn to you. God, we don't want anybody to be drawn to us. If they're drawn to us, we want to give you the glory and say, no, let me push you to the one who makes me who I am, who is who I am inside. You are our light, our whole life, and we adore you as the song says. You are holy, and may everyone that walked into this room leave knowing that they've been in that holy presence one way or another, through conviction, through salvation, whatever it needs to be, Father, just in your presence. Maybe someone's really hurting right now. Their heart is broken like today, and they need that sweet comfort that only you can provide. The God of all comfort, your word says. Come close to them that they may even feel the breath of your mouth on their neck, that you're hugging them so tight that they will know. We love you, Father. We thank you, Jesus, and we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will work during this time of the word, and it will not return void, ever. Thank you. It's about you again, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I uh, invite you to turn to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. There are some sermon notes that if you'd like to follow along with the sermon, uh, we make those available to you. It is something that helps me personally if I write something down and I take home and I review it. It sticks with me a whole lot better. So 1 Peter chapter 1, we've gone through the book of James, and then we just turn to the right, uh, and we've just continue on through the scripture, and now we're in the book of 1 Peter. So as we think about this week coming up, it's called, uh, some people call Fright Week, you know, it just, you know, it's a celebration of being afraid. You know, the movies are popular, the ones that are horror movies, you know, and uh, I know some of you, you're already watching those uh, already, and, uh, but this is a time that uh, people uh, like to be scared, and so uh, we think about that, and then, and then we top upon that, but just in the reality uh, that we have, you know, the pandemic, uh, COVID-19, and the fears that come along with that. Uh, all the decisions that we have to make with those things. And, and then we have our elections, just right on the heel of all that. And the fear of the unknown, who's going to be elected? What's that going to mean for us? How's our gonna, country going to look after, you know, November 3rd? All these. And then you may have, as already been prayed, some very concerns in your heart, personal life, and fears and things that have happened to you. You know, we've heard of, you know, like... Fred's brother, you know, had a serious motorcycle accident, and uh, you know, you have uh, Mark's guy's dad, you know, that uh, stage four cancer and different things that are happening among us in our life as well. When those are concerns, and so we have First First Peter. First Peter is about of uh, dealing with the things that we have to go through as a Christian. You know, in the Bible, that it tells us uh, that the most repeated command is to not fear. It, it tells us over and again that God doesn't want us to fear. And so when we come to 1 Peter, 1 Peter is all about helping us not to fear what's happening in our life and that we can actually go through suffering and we can go through it and endure it with a smile. And Peter had a good reason to be fearful. The Christians, the people that are reading this letter, this, this letter has a, have a reason to be fearful because they are suffering persecution. Listen to what Peter wrote in, later on in chapter 4. I'm going to read uh, verses 12 and 13. He, he says to, to the Christians that are reading this letter, he said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So when you go through those fires, those difficulty times as a believer, because you are a believer, don't think it's a strange thing. Think it as a normal thing that Christians go to. That's <laughs> what Peter's saying. He said, it goes on, but rejoice in so far as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So the ones that are picking up this letter, the original letter that Peter is writing, these are Christians who have been suffering simply because they're followers of Jesus Christ. These are good people. These are salt of the earth people. These are honest people. And yet they are uh, suffering because of simply being a follower of Jesus Christ. And then suffering is going to get worse. Peter was written to, uh, written to help people not only while they're going through the suffering as they re read the letter, but they uh, some of them are getting ready to go into some great suffering, fearful suffering. As we think about Peter, let's just back up a moment and think about his life. Okay, Peter is the the writer of this. God inspired Peter to write First Peter. As we back up, remember Peter was a fisherman. Peter wasn't, uh, you know, somebody was raised in, in necessary in, in the Christian church. Uh, Peter, no doubt, had some religion with him. And, uh, but Peter became a believer in Jesus Christ when he met Jesus around the Sea of Galilee. And he followed Jesus. Jesus gave him a personal invite to be a disciple uh, of Jesus Christ, one of the 12. And so he follows Jesus uh, all the way down and eventually they end up in Jerusalem. 
And at Jerusalem, of course, Jesus uh, is crucified. You know, he, he, he dies on the cross, he's buried, and, he has, and he's resurrected, and then he ascends to heaven. And Peter is, is familiar with that. He becomes an apostle, a witness of all that. And we find that right after that, it is Peter who stands up and preaches that great message where, where thousands of people get saved. I mean, he's the Billy Graham of that, at that time where, where people are coming down to the aisle. I don't know if they had an altar call, but they, they got saved. And there was 3,000, 5,000, the multitude. And then, now listen carefully, friend. Then there is a great stirring of persecution by Satan against the believers. And we find that in Acts chapter 8. You follow Jesus and you make decisions that I'm going to follow God, that, that you're going to be absent of suffering. No, you're stirring up the nest. We had a youth group years ago, and one of our kids, Scott, Scott decided to, to take a stick and put it in a bee's nest and to see what happened. <laughs> well, guess what happened? He stirred it up and he got stung. Well, I am just telling you, when you come to follow Jesus Christ, you're going to stir some things up. There's going to be some friends who won't agree. There's going to be some people that uh, will may mock you. And, and find that's part of being a follower of Jesus Christ. So Peter, he stays in Jerusalem. And he ministers to the Christian as they're going through this great persecution. And uh, uh, there he is. And in fact, during this time, King Herod puts Peter in jail. But God isn't finished with Peter. And God sends an angel to Peter and rescues him and unlocks the jail, you know, and how that, you remember that story and how, how that there was a group that was over praying and it was probably like a small group meeting. They were praying for Peter and Peter shows up, knocks on the door and the servant of the house goes to the door to find out who is there. And, and, he go, and she goes back in to tell the group, he said, you know, the people you're praying for, Peter, he's at the door. And they didn't believe him. And so she insisted, go check it out. And so they did. And sure enough, it was Peter. God answered their prayer. And there he was at the door. He had been freed from, by the angels. And the Spirit of God moved Peter to move up around the Mediterranean Sea. And it is believed by tradition that he ends up in uh, Rome. Now, I say this because if this is true, and there are many writings that says that Peter ends up in Rome, that he is there. And during this time, Paul is also, remember, he has been, been uh, escorted to the, to the place of Rome, and he in, eventually ends up being executed. But before he is killed, Paul leads many to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's believed that perhaps Peter started a church there. We're not sure. There's no evidence of that. But perhaps he did. And maybe there was an opportunity for him to preach to those Christians, definitely to minister to them. And when Peter wrote this letter, it was near the time that Rome experienced a great fire in A.D. 64. When the city of Rome burned, and the Romans believed that their emperor Nero had set the city on fire. Some believed because he was, had this incredible lust to build, and there were some buildings, there were some projects that were in his place, and so he started this fire. It got out of hand, and the Romans, uh, citizens of Rome were devastated, and, and, and they had their, their places were burned, and some of them were homeless and helpless, and some uh, died, and, and the temples and the shrines and the culture things, they all uh, burnt up during this time. And they became very bitter. Some were finding out and blaming Nero, and Nero realized that he had to reject their hostility. The Roman historian Tactitus tells us the emperor's chosen scapegoat was the Christians who had already hated because they were associated with Jews. And because they were seen as being hostile to the Roman culture, Nero spread the word quickly that the Christians had set it on fire. And as a result, this vicious persecution against Christians began and soon spread through the Roman Empire. 
touching places of the north of the Tyrus Mountains, including, as it says in verse 1, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, and Pontus. And Christians were suffering because the, the lies that Nero was spreading. So I give you this backdrop that's very dark. As you would put a diamond in the midst of that back, that Peter is getting ready to, to give some truths that will sparkle against this dark background. Now, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter writes this letter to give them encouragement. If you were Peter, and you were writing to those Christians who were, who were either suffering or getting ready to go into great uh, uh, suffering because of the persecution that was spread there in Rome and other Christians in different parts, what would you say? What were words that you could use that could help somebody that was suffering just because they were a follower of Jesus Christ? Well, Peter writes this letter in a hurtful time. And while going through this deep valley, Peter says, I want you to look up, but I want you to see seven truths. These are glorious truths. These are truths for every believer that you can, you can put a handle on and you can hang on to. You can put it in your pocket. And no matter what suffering you can go through, you can endure that suffering and, and a smile can come over your face because of these truths, no matter what is happening in your life. So let's read from 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's start with verse 1 again. Peter he says, he's writing this letter, and he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his spirit has made you holy as a result, and have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. Let's go to verse 3. All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus from the dead. And now we live with great expectation. So Peter starts this off. And the section that he's going to, he, he identifies these Christians, where they're at, and he says, I know you, you're out there. I know that you're suffering. I want you to first, I want to, I want to give praise to God. It's very difficult for us to give praise to God when we're suffering. But the, fee, but the key is to look beyond the fear and the pain of these truths that are timeless, that, that go through any situation and circumstances. Peter gives us a prescription how we can smile while we go through these times of suffering. And, and there are seven things that he mentions from verse, verses 3 down to verse 12. And we'll give you all seven this morning. The first one, we'll spend a little bit of time, then we'll go quickly through the other six. The first one's very important. We can endure suffering with a smile as we have a living hope through Jesus Christ. We live, listen, my friend, as a believer, we live with great expectations. There may be a tunnel you're going through, but for a believer, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. It's never permanently dark. There's always hope. The ESV says, being born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, we live as believers with great expectations. The living hope is alive, that is growing. That's what the Bible calls a blessed hope. It's not a hope that says, well, maybe it come through. It is a hope. There is a light that we can go through. Our hope is alive. The reason our hope is alive, because it is based upon the living word of God. The Bible has the power to give eternal life. It is the living word. As Peter later on writes in this great chapter, chapter 1, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living, abiding word of God. Our hope is on the living, eternal word of God. This is not man's book. This is God's eternal book. And we rest upon that. That's where our hope is placed. Our hope is a living hope as it is rest upon the internal God, Jesus Christ, who is the author and finish of our faith. 
Jesus, who as God was born and suffered as an innocent man, he was persecuted in the most extreme way on the, going to the cross and on the cross, there he dies. But that wasn't the end of him. And my friend, that isn't the end of him and neither will it be our end. No matter what happens in life, we can live with great expectations because we have hope and that hope is a living hope. It is in the eternal uh, person of Jesus Christ, God himself. When you don't have hope, you're hopeless. You have no life. There was a, there was a weird experience done in 1950 by a professor named Court Richard. He conducted this gruesome uh, experiment. So pardon the illustration here, but it fits so well. He said, with, he said they did an experiment, and he writes about this. He talks about this experiment. He took a, a dozen dus- domesticated rats and put them in jars half filled with water and washed them drown. The idea was to measure the amount of time they swam before they gave up and went under. The first rat, Richard note, Richard note, swam around excitedly on the surface for a short time, then dove to the bottom where it began to swim around, nosing its way along the glass wall. It died two minutes later. Two more of the 12 domesticated rats died in much the same way. But interestingly, the nine remaining rats did not succumb nearly so readily. They swam for days before they eventually gave up and died. Now came the wild Norwegian rats. Renowned for their swimming ability, the ones Richter used had been recently trapped and were fierce and aggressive. One by one, he dropped them in the water. One by one, they surprised him because within minutes entering the water, they all 34 died. What kills these rats, he wondered. Why did all the fierce, aggressive wild rats die promptly on immersion? Only a small number of simply treated, tame, domestic rats. The answer, he said in one word, was hope. Hope is huge, my friend. The suffering, as long as we have this hope, we can go through it, we can endure it. You see, the situation of these rats have always lived free in the wild, and they had never been confined under the domestic rats. The wild rats were in a situation against which they had no experience or defense. They easily gave up. Richter then tweaked the experiment. He took other similar rats and put them in the jar just before they were expected to die. However, he picked them up and held them a little while, then put them back in the water, And this way, he wrote, the rats quickly learned that the situation is not actually hopeless. This small interruption made a huge difference. The rats that experienced a brief reprieve swam much longer and lasted much longer than the rats that were left alone. They also recovered almost immediately. And when the rats learned that they were not doomed, that the situation was not lost, that there might be a help in hand at the ready. In short, when they had a reason to keep swimming, they did. They did not give up. They did not go under. After elimination of hopelessness, wrote Richter, the rats did not die. Now, obviously, there is a small difference between humans and rats. But similar truth stands out. We all need a reason to keep swimming. Here's the point. Christians are never, are never, are never without hope because of Jesus Christ. Our world can be turned upside down. Our government can fold. Our finances can can implode. Our health can be given out. We can suffer for the name of Jesus Christ when we're doing nothing wrong. We still have hope through all that because we have Jesus Christ. We have hope. It's a living hope. It's real news. And the evidence of this is based upon the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let Let me give you something to think about. When you talk about Christianity, it is the only religion which cannot reinvent itself. 
all other religions are based upon the philosophical basis. Other religions have been created out of a human mind. It's a source of religion is from human thinking. If all religions were wiped from the face of the earth, someone could come along and have the same thoughts and ideals and recreate any religion that we have today. But there is an exception, and that exception is Christianity. Our faith is built upon the prophecies of the Old Testament prophecies, which said the Messiah is coming. Our faith is built upon one person and one person only, God himself, Jesus Christ. We believe that he is the Messiah, of the Old Testament prophecy. We believe that he died on a cross for our sins, that he rose again. We believe that he is coming back. He is our hope. And if you can destroy Jesus Christ, how could we recreate it in our minds? We couldn't. Christianity would never be. Our faith is not built upon philosophy, intellect, or creative speculations. Our faith is built upon the historical fact that Jesus, God's only son, died on a Roman cross in Jerusalem on a hill called Golgotha in 30 AD. He rose from the grave three days later. Our faith cannot be recreated, but thank God it is a faith which stood the test of time, proven itself faithful and tested, and is the only true faith which holds in the storms of life. Our hope is an eternal living hope as our hope is in Jesus Christ. You see, we can always have a smile, endure suffering as we have hope in our first. We have great expectations. No matter how bad it gets, there are great expectations for us. There's a living hope. Let's go to verse 4. And in verse 4, it reads, Peter tells us something else that gives us this hope and great expectation. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Listen, Christian, you're going through suffering. He's writing this letter. It's the terrible thing. But listen here. There is an inheritance waiting for you that's incorruptible. It's undefiled, does not decay. Uh, Time doesn't matter to it, and is reserved in heaven, and it has your name on it, an inheritance that you can receive it. You didn't earn it. It is a gift that is given. In fact, it is, it is the sharing of, of Jesus Christ, his inheritance with you, that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He tells us, listen, this is what's waiting for you, this great inheritance, which gives us a smile. That's waiting for us, and we can live with great expectations. And Peter goes on in verse 5 and says, Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Ready. You see, we can endure suffering with the smiles. We are kept by the power of God. And this is so important because if we didn't have the promise of being kept, we could never believe or have the great hope that we could experience our inheritance, but we can. It's just like uh, when we think about the power of God and, and all the things that we go through, is that even though that we may suffer, we have to understand and believe that God is still greater. And if he allows us to go through something, it is by his will. It is like when Job was suffering, it was Satan who had to come to God and say, God, your child, your son, Job, if you take away your protection, if you take away some of the strength, if you give me access to him, he will turn and curse you, God. And God says, okay, Satan, you have permission. And he gave him permission and uh, you know the results and how Job was faithful to God. I'm just saying that when we go through things, understand in the bigger picture that God still has his power. We are still kept in his power. No matter how difficult and how things that God allows us to go through, we still have the power of God. We are kept by his power, not only through this life, but in the life to come. And we can smile because of God's power and kept in that power. That we're completely safe. Our soul is completely safe in God's care because of that. And we read in verse 6, and Peter goes on your side and says, I want to remind you of something else. In this you greatly rejoice. 
said, don't be truly glad there is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. It's going to be a short time. We can endure suffering, and we know that it's only going to be just a moment of time. It's like when you go to, you know, I've gone to the doctor earlier in my life, you know, and you get that little shot. And that shot, you know, as you think about that shot, that shot is just, you know, it's going to hurt, it's going to pain, and you, you know, you, you, you know, you do the thing, you know, yeah, I'm not going to let this nurse see that I'm getting this pain, I'm going to cry or anything, I'm not going to faint, you know. And you see that needle, and you think, okay, it's just going to be just a little bit, and then it's going to be over. And this is the way Peter is saying that our suffering compared to eternity is just going to be a moment. It's just a little while. You have to compare it on the big a great expanse of eternity that is just a moment in time. That night is going to be there, but there's joy that's going to come in the morning. It's just for a short moment. And Peter goes on to say in verse 6, he says, Again, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials. And there are going to be different trials. There's going to be different things that happen. He says that you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials that will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise, glory, and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You see, my friend, these trials are designed to make us to be more like Jesus Christ. We have to keep this in mind that that God has a good purpose for these trials. These trials reveal that our faith is genuine. Proves to our friends, proves to our family, proves to our community that we are the real deal. A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. You can trust God. Let me show you how you can trust God. I can trust God because these things that happen to me, I'm going to still go through, and my faith is going to be uh, steadfast, unmovable because of my hope that's found in Jesus Christ. And these trials prepare us for what's in store in heaven. You have to keep this in mind that, that this, is, this earth is just like preparation for what God has in store for us, how he wants to use us. C.S. Lewis wrote in The Problem with Pain, he wrote in this book, he said, and God using the pain to uh, to make us like Jesus. Lewis comparing the process of purifying to like a, a quick sketch you know, like your grandkids, right? You know, you know, they draw these stick figures, you know. Here's the stick figure. And, and yeah, Papa, it's a stick figure. Oh, yeah, I see. And, and what's it? That's a dog, Papa. Can't you see that's a dog? They say, oh, yeah, I see it now. And you put it on a refrigerator. <laughs> Lewis goes on to say, it says it's like, it's like these quick sketches versus a masterpiece of art. And the artist, he takes his time, puts stuff there, and he thinks about it. And it's a process, and it takes a long time. And sometimes he goes back there, and, and he scribbles out some paint and, and, and lines and redoes it. He's not happy with it. He moves the paint around and then re, redoes the paint. So it'll be just right. So it'll be the masterpiece. C.S. Lewis says, it is natural for us to wish that God had designed for us a less glorious and less arduous destiny. But then we are wishing not for more love, but for less. So if God brings us into a place of suffering according to his will. Let's not back off, but let's embrace what God wants for us and how he wants to use us for our life. He's the masterpiece. He's creating where his workmanship, and he's doing something great. Because always, 
as a believer, we have great expectation how it's going to turn out. And we may not see it yet. We may not see the full painting of how God is going to use our life and the suffering. But when we get to heaven, we'll view it and we'll say, yes, God, you did a wonderful creation in my life. Wonderful work. Peter goes on in verse 8. You love him, though you have never seen him. Though you did not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious and expressible joy. Inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. You see, as we go through life and the suffering, we don't see Jesus. And neither did you see Jesus when you became a believer. When you accepted Jesus, Jesus wasn't standing there in front of you physically. But by faith, you trusted God. You knew his presence was there. And you accepted Jesus into your life, believing he died on the cross for your sins. We can endure suffering with a smile as we know Jesus. The unseen presence is always with us. Hebrews, I believe Paul writing, he says he would never fail us, never abandon us. It's like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, and, and they were in that fiery furnace. They were thrown, and then all of a sudden, Jesus was there in the midst of them. This is the way Jesus, in some of the sweetest fellowship, some of the sweetest times that you'll have with Jesus is during this suffering. Presence of Jesus will be so real, so close. Paul writes in Romans as he is waiting for his execution there from Rome. There is nothing, it says, that can separate you from the love of God. And so, with great expectation of knowing the suffering is going to produce the sweet fellowship and the unseen presence, by faith he is there with us. Peter goes on to write in verse 10, he says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their message was not for themselves but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. You see, my friend, we can endure suffering with a smile. We know suffering is part of God's glorious plan. Your plan, what you may go through tomorrow, or the next week, or year from now, or what you're going through has been created, was planned, was known before the foundation of the earth was made. As we think about the prophets who foretold about Jesus' suffering, they said it would produce great glorious results, and sure it did, and our suffering as well. We have the promise of great glory afterward may not see it all in this life, but definitely in the life to come. And the angels stand back, and they can be amazed at a lot of things because they see the God's full glory, they see heaven, they see all creation. They are there, and yet they look back down to us and are eagerly waiting and watching of the things that are unfolding, not only in the salvation that's offered through Jesus Christ, but how these believers, how these followers go through those things. The great faith that they have, and they watch with amazement. And we can endure suffering with a smile when we look up and see a heavenly host cheering us on. As that old hymn who actually was created by a, a pastor's wife in L.A., made that old hymn singing, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And all the things that happen in our life, when we see Jesus, it'll be worth it all. And so Peter writes these things for us as believers, that there are always this wonderful hope, this great expectations of God working through those things. And, and even if we don't see what he's doing right now, we know that it'll be revealed to us one day and we'll bring praises to God. Blessed be God the Father. Would you bow your heads in prayer, please?
every head bowed, every eye closed. Here, my friend, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ, you do not know Jesus, he offers you the palm branch, the peace that comes through salvation that is given through his son, Jesus Christ. And today, right now, be willing to open up your heart to him and say, yes, God. I believe in you. And you're the only hope for me. You're the hope for this world. You accept him. As simple as that. Trusting in him. Believing in his word. The Bible says, you will be saved. Be a child of God. You'll have this hope that extends beyond time and circumstances because Jesus has come to live in you. Heavenly Father, you're the one who knows the end from the beginning. The one who holds all of life in his hands. And you have kept us for a glorious future. And now, Father God, we ask that you help us to keep us, keep the words that you gave Peter that was a tremendous blessing when those Christians read it for the first time. And thousands, perhaps millions of Christians have read these same words and have been encouraged in their time of suffering. Father, may we believe that our time of suffering, that always there's great expectations. And Father, we know this to be true as we think beyond our world. When one day, our eyes will cast our eyes on Jesus Christ, the one who loves us, the one who died for us, the one who suffered for us. And we'll truly say, it'll be worth it all. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen. Would you stand with us this morning? We're going to sing one more song as we close today. If we can be a help to you in any way, we're here, we're available, we'll pray with you. Uh, whatever that you may need in your walk with Jesus Christ. Let's sing from our hearts this morning.
like that. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Go with God this week. Let him be your king of kings. Adore him. Let him be your everything. And your week will be great, even if you have a bad day. <laughs> Bye-bye. We love y'all.